my friends, the great experiment. Strange new world. Head trick, trick. Would you look at that? The greatest trick, trick. Two people, you're all astronauts. Some kind of star trick, trick. Welcome to Greatest Trek. It's a new Star Trek podcast from the makers of The Greatest Generation. I'm Innocent, and I'm Ben Harrison. I'm getting off on a technicality. <laughs> I'm Adam Pranica. Is that some sort of masturbatory double entendre, getting off on a technicality? Sure is, Ben. You just said the joke. <laughs> That's what it was. That's what it was exactly. Hey, Adam, I'm not as funny as you, so I have to do some heavy lifting to figure out what's going on a lot of the time. I think you represent a large portion of the FOT audience who may need just a little bit of help, right? You're fun to make podcasts with. <laughs> you said you wanted to be sharp for this episode. I didn't know that you meant you wanted to be stabby for this episode. Oh, not at all. I don't <laughs> what mean- What the hell, man? <laughs> I don't mean to be at all. God, I really came out of the blocks all flaily. It was fucking wild. <laughs> what happened? I feel great today. I'm in a great mood. Why am I doing this? You could have fooled me. <laughs> yeah. Tell me about you, Ben. Tell me what's going on with you. So I can get back on your level. Boy, I don't know. Um, playing a lot of Legend of Zelda. Growing tomatoes over here. My tomato plants are doing very well. Oh, I bet. I bet they are. You get a lot of good sun and you got a big concrete wall to radiate the heat. <laughs> that really helps. Yeah, it's fun to uh, text my mom a picture of my tomato plants and she's up in Northern California and make her fly into a rage of jealousy because my plants are so much happier and, and fuller down here because uh, the weather's just better for it. Well, the weather's better for growing other things in Northern California. So I don't think your mom's doing that bad, right? Yeah, I guess so. We're recording this during a week where the weather, you know, on most of the eastern seaboard is like downright apocalyptic. So yeah. <laughs> I don't feel great bragging about that. I don't think it's a brag to just describe things as they are. I think we've had some pretty poor weather the last mm -hmm. couple of months. So I, it's not a brag for me to say that I'm very handsome. Not at all. No. <laughs> Very, very good looking. Something that uh, friends at DeSoto tell me all the time. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. You look very disappointing compared to Ben, is what they say. <laughs> Did that happen to you in our live show? Not in so many words. Oh. oh, buddy. You know what was really fun? One of the many parts that was really fun about that re-encounter at Farpoint After Party was just like seeing you across the room hold some fucking court. <laughs> I love watching people hold court and you were mm. you were doing it expertly. <laughs> the thing I tried to do was like I never wanted to be back against the wall in the court holding. And I know uh -huh. that's like a great quality of holding court is like being the point of the triangle that radiates out that mm -hmm. like the gatherers have have assembled in. But that feels like a trap to me. So I was moving around as much as I could back there. There's yeah. like a great, awesome patio at Hinterlands. I was back there, back to the wall once, and then I was inside, back to the wall once, and then I finally just went out to the front <laughs> on the sidewalk where there were no walls, Yeah, where I could feel free. You can't be contained out there. No. That was a great party. I uh, have some regrets about that party, one of which is that um, I was talking to Anne-Marie Siegel who is a great friend of DeSoto. We see her most years at Star Trek Las Vegas. She was there talking to me and she was like, ah, oh, I got to get on the train. I can't be out super late and I don't want to like wait until it's dark to ride home. And I was like, Anne-Marie, I will personally pay for your Uber or Lyft back to wherever you're going if you'll just stay a little bit longer. And then you, you cut into the stack of ones that we were paid in. <laughs> and uh, pulled yeah. out like one and a half inches of ones. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. This should do the trick, Anne-Marie. She went back to the bar, got herself a beverage, and was like, I'm staying. And I was like, yeah. And then I went to the bathroom. 
And then when I came out of the bathroom, Stuart Wellington grabbed me and was like, hey, dude, we've got our dinner res. And I was like, oh, we have a dinner res? Great. And you and I and Stu and his wife, Charlene, and a few other people wound up blocks and blocks away at a restaurant. And I didn't think of it till like late that night. Like I told Anne-Marie I had her covered on a trip home and I just got totally distracted. And I just like I spent all night just feeling absolutely fucking awful. (laughs) I got to thank Stu for that move because, you know, at a party in your honor, that's ghosting the party on hard mode, right? (laughs) Like any old party, I feel very comfortable to leave. Yeah, Yeah. But in that exact moment, like I needed to be spirited away and Stu did an expert job at that. So that was really remarkable. Thanks to Stu and Shire and everyone at Hinterlands for throwing such a great party. Yeah. And thanks to everybody who came out to the re-encounter at Farpoint. Thanks to everybody that watched the premiere on uh, streaming. Yeah. Big fun. Big fun. So fun. Anyways, let's get into this. We got a, a whole nother episode of Star Trek Strange New Worlds we need to talk about. It's amazing to think that we're already... 20% 20% in to the season. <laughs> We're not yet. We got to get into the episode, Adam. It's season two, episode two. Ad Astra Paraspra. You know the greatest danger facing us is an irrational fear of the unknown. Self-discovery. No. A quote that I was only ever familiar with from the Apollo 1 memorial, right? Was it famous before that or for any other reason? I think uh, Ad Astra is the motto of Jesse Thorne's Boner Society. Yeah, not familiar with that. (laughs) Because Jesse and Jordan are our mortal enemies? (laughs) Which part of that statement is a tough road and to the stars? Because if Jesse Thorne's Boner Society is, it's going to be a tough road, that's really funny. (laughs) If it's instead about to the stars having to do with boners, eh, not as funny. I think that uh, Brad Pitt movies about uh, him, you know, walking down a tough road in a spacesuit. Oh, yeah. That's what I could tell from the, the poster anyways. There's a lot of synonyms for difficulty plus roads <laughs> in the science fiction <laughs> genre, wouldn't you say? There's at least two of those. <laughs> yeah. So on the previously on, we're reminded about Una's Illyrianness and the illegality of that as it relates to her career in Starfleet. And then we jump right into the future's past. This is young Una. We see the Miramax logo right at the beginning. Mm -hmm. And then we cut to the inside of one of the apartments in that cityscape. Yeah. My parents always argued through a door. Mm. This open argument that happens in Una's family, it, it seems like they're in a studio apartment of some kind. Not a lot of doors around. This is the downfall of all of these uh, HGTV shows where they blow out the walls and make it an open concept. Hey, mom and dad, why don't you go argue out in the hall or in the lobby or something? (laughs) This is very hurtful and your child will always remember it. Una will be okay. Your child's uh, currently open leg wound is not drowning out your voices. Yeah, this thing is starting to stink. That's a bad sign, right? Yeah, it smells like glowing almonds in this room. There's something wrong with her cast. That's what I think. Yeah. So young Una has a really fucking rugged looking leg injury. And it's not that their parents are, you know, Christian scientists or something. It's that they are scared of a doctor seeing what she truly is. Did you think that she could heal herself with her E.T. finger? Like, I had forgotten what her true powers are. Yeah, yeah. Maybe she could later in life, but as a kid, she didn't have, you know, it's like she doesn't have the power of wielding it yet. Yeah. It was just glow, and that was it. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Little did she know she would soon work for an organization where, like, waving lights over things was the the primary form of healing, right? (laughs) Yeah. I guess uh, anytime you get hurt, in Star Trek, you can have a glow up. <laughs> Back in the present, we see Una in a room with Captain Patel where she's being offered a plea deal. She has got to admit her wrongdoing, plead guilty, and in exchange, she'll get an honorable dismissal without all that exile 
that she would normally get. Yeah. Were she to be found guilty. That seems like a good deal, right? You don't want the exile. Or prison time. She gets to go live her life, just not in Starfleet. And Una's public defender seems pretty bad. He is a dusty-ass attorney. What was the deal with this? It's a, she said that he worked for Captain Battelle? I mean, it's such an interesting observation, is, is like, if the legal system is slanted away from your favor and the court-appointed attorney comes from that very system, it would seem as though like a correct assumption would be whose side is this person on? Right. Really? Yeah, and he's like, does not believe that there's much of a case to be made for her fighting this thing. So he's like, take the deal, take the deal. This guy... I'm going to mention this as often as it happens. This guy comes right off the same assembly line as those Starbase One people. Like, just just another fucking dopey white. <laughs> you know? Yeah. Don't you think we should sidebar this conversation? That's a good idea. Meanwhile, Pike is on a distant planet, and even with a respirator, he is suffering in this atmosphere. Yeah, it's a planet inside a nebular? Did you understand that to be the case? And were these nebular gases that he's breathing? Yeah, everybody else can breathe them just fine. The yeah. locals are adapted to it. Mm-hmm. Hint, hint. He's not having a great time, and he gets to the law offices of Counselor Nira Katul and really gives a hard time to the secretary who is you know, trying to give him the big city, get the fuck out of here. Counselor Katul still can't see you today. She's got a really impressive desk in a really impressive lobby space of an office. Like, Mm -hmm. ordinarily, you'd think this would work, but Pike is not impressed. Yeah. Pike has used up all his oxygen also. And you got to believe that he's done that math where he's found his way all the way to the lobby, but he didn't leave enough oxygen for the swim home. So... (laughs) He really prevails upon the goodness he's assuming from the secretary to save his life here, right? Secretary doesn't want to deal with a dead body in her lobby this morning, so... She's done that math, hasn't she? Like, he's less of a problem if she just saves his life. (laughs) Fine, 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 okay. So, turns out Nira Katul has a Matt Lauer button in her office, but for filling the room with breathable air... How about that? I wish I could super oxygenate the air in my studio. Don't you? (laughs) The show would be so much better. You just sitting there watching that air quality monitor creep up into the quadruple digits telling you your your mental capacity is declined by 15 to 20 percent it's amazing we start the show and and the air quality reads at like 480 and by the time the show is done it's like 1200 every time just proof positive that we blow a ton of hot air here on greatest trek it's just me i'm the problem (laughs) yeah it's weird if i come over and record an episode with you in your office the number actually goes down yeah you take the air out of the room i just say the the premise of the joke over and over again pretty soon we're in hard vacuum i know (laughs) great room great office great floor Mm. in this building yeah it's impressive and yira is an impressive person she is initially not impressed by pike at all she is someone who has said no to him many times already yeah and this is kind of an inconvenience for her but pike explains this time in person i feel like this happens a lot to captain pike he has maybe sent a manifesto out to someone mm. <laughs> he sent messages you know in an impersonal fashion, but all he's got to do is show up. And things really change for him. It doesn't really impress her that he's discovered that the Federation's bigotry against genetically modified people is unfair. But what does impress her is his pitch that, you know, she's got a bunch of pending actions against Starfleet and the Federation, but this shit is high profile. This is going to raise the level of attention on this issue. And that's good for her cause overall because she's a civil rights attorney. And one of the big things she fights for is people being treated right, even if their parents decided to have them genetically modified. If you're not sure quite 
what high profile means in a court case at this moment in time for the Federation. You see it throughout the episode with the gathering of the bridge crew watching this on TV. They have court TV in the future. The assumption is that this is going on fleet-wide, these these meetings. Yeah. I mean, in the like kangaroo courts of the post-atomic horror, I'm sure court TV really thrived. So they probably just have a great endowment to just run that television network forever. I mean, in those courts, you've got those guards with the guns permanently mounted to fists. Yeah. Edward Gatling gun hands is in there. <laughs> yeah. They're just puffing drugs through their nose and shooting in the air. Yeah. There's that guy with the gong. Yeah. I'll plead you, criminal. Just good television, you know? <laughs> the greatest trick. You think Nira's not going to be a good person because nothing moves the needle except the popularity of the trial, right? It's not that Una is exceptional. It's not that Pike cares a great deal for her. It's not even that Una's about to lose everything. It is almost exclusively that this is going to be good for Nira. Right. And Nira makes that pretty clear multiple times this episode. There's beef between Una and Nira. And they sort of get described as having been friends or as being friends a bunch of times. And Nira really rejects the shit out of that. Una Jin Riley is not my friend. And neither are you. Please leave. When she decides to take the case, she shows up really quickly back on... Is this Earth where this is taking place? Oh, yeah. Uh, you're talking about where Una's cell is? Yeah, the, the trial. I mean, transporter technology would make it seem she could be anywhere, but those establishing shots all seem to be San Francisco. So yeah, that's what I'm willing to believe. But I mean, like, I was amazed that Nira didn't change outfits for this. <laughs> <laughs> like, like, she got on... The shuttle with Pike and like went right back to start working with her client. If you live and work inside the Volterra Nebula and then you go to do stuff on Earth, Earth must smell so bizarre to you. (laughs) Yeah, there's a bunch of stuff in Enterprise about how the Vulcans all think that the the humans smell like ass. Yeah, (laughs) don't doubt that at all. I bet Vulcans smell amazing. Yeah. Yeah, they've got to, right? It would only be logical to smell great. Yeah. So inside Una's cell, Nira appears, and Una explains to her what's up. Evidently, Nira is not super clear on what this trial is about. Mm -hmm. And so she gets caught up. Tell me the story of the story, short version, your words. She's definitely, like, the smartest person in any room she walks into in a way that's really fun. Like, I love the way her swagger is a lot about her having more information than anyone else and only revealing that when it's convenient. Yeah. Nira is ready to reject the deal that's on the table. And now that she's on the case, her selfish reasons for doing that seem pretty clear to us. Yeah. And uh, not really to Una, but like what other choice does she have? She seems way better than the public defender. (laughs) I'm joining the Wi-Fi as we speak. Captain Battelle is fucking furious about this. She really lights Pike up when she finds out that Nira is, is here on Earth and defending this case. I can't tell if this is a good or a bad example of two people in a relationship trying to silo off their work and personal lives. Right. Because on the one hand, like, Patel shows up super rip shit, and Pike seems very much in non-work mode. (laughs) (laughs) You could tell from the apron. (laughs) Patel is, in a very familiar way, not ready to not be in non-work mode. She wants to have it out. Yeah. Una broke the law. And what if the law is wrong? Work Patel and play Patel are different people, but we're not getting play Patel here. No. And right now, neither of them are hungry for dinner. And she storms off. Yeah, I thought this was such an interesting scene because it's not that she's like on her racist high horse. Like we got to keep these dirty, genetically modified people out of our ranks. It's that she's like trying to be the best friend she can to Una in a system of laws that are as they are. That's a really good distinction. Like, she believes she's doing the best she can or the best that is allowed to happen. Right. And the problem with being in a relationship with Pike is that your best 
isn't the best when you're a creative thinker right. who thinks outside the rules and regulations. Winners go home and fuck the prom queen. Yeah, and I think that that's something that's really interesting about this episode because, I mean, there's so many things about this episode that are easy to kind of map onto metaphorical examples of what's going on in our present. But the prosecutor that is trying to, like, do good despite a system that they don't, like, totally believe in is sort of what Patel is being depicted as and... This episode definitely takes the standpoint that that is not really a position from which you can accomplish truly just outcomes. Yeah, let's save that argument for the end. I think there's a lot there. Yeah. So part of what she's complaining about is her boss, the judge advocate general, is now on the case. And they are throwing the fucking book at Una now. Like, they are revising the charges against. They are way more intense and like there's a 20-year prison sentence on the table now there's a bunch of sedition charges did you catch who was at this meeting vice admiral pasak what (laughs) oh (laughs) oh he's such a badass oh (laughs) oh man he walks into a room talk about sucking the air out of a room (laughs) that guy is ready to bring it yeah He's going to basock it to you. That's what he's going to do. And even the judge, the Necheyev-style judge that we're given in this trial, like even she's really impressed, right? Yeah. I didn't know you were joining us today. So it's going to be a battle for who is going to make an example of whom? You know, is Una going to make an example of how racist the laws of the Federation are? Or are they going to bury her in some fucked up Federation prison Yeah, where presumably there is no stockade or electronic frontier or anything like that? You really need to change gears here and look at Federation law as something that is unjust where it pertains to a character that you care about. And in Una's cell, she takes great umbrage with the whole 20 years part. For lying on an application? They need to fight this. And... Great character witnesses are what they're going to need. But, like, who would make good witnesses? Robert April seems like he'd be a good ally. He's the one that hired her to begin with. And putting Una on the stand to defend herself also seems like a good idea. Like, she's a great advocate for her own rights. Super articulate in a lawyer Una kind of way. Like, that would be good, wouldn't it? But the trouble with her story and really the trouble with any of her allies in Starfleet is like by making them available to the prosecution on trial, you're putting them in danger of like perjuring themselves at all times. And April has already been called as a prosecution witness, right? Right. Yeah. So that's fucked up. Yeah. So who would be good character witnesses that could both say great things about her and not be in danger of what they might say in defending her? That's the question at this moment in time. Nira gets an office to work out of. It's Una's quarters, which uh, I guess she won't be using anytime soon. I hated the cubicle move where, like, the other person's shit is still there, you know? Yeah. And I don't mean, like, personal items. I just mean, like, on the little phone, their name is still on it, like, recorded phone. The keyboard isn't even clean. Like you got to go and like clean all of the other person's finger dirt off of it. Yeah. You got to see if they have those little alcohol prep pads in the office supply cabinet. You're blowing crumbs out of those little crevices. You got to do that. (laughs) Doesn't feel good. But luckily Una keeps clean quarters, right? Yeah. La'an is there and she's like, hey, so... Doesn't seem like they necessarily got the info about her being Illyrian on the up and up. And maybe you could just get this case dismissed on a technicality of like, well, you didn't actually have legal right to the information that you're using to prosecute this woman. So you have to let her go. And I thought maybe there was more to be done in this case with the idea of getting it dismissed on a technicality like they do address it later but like the idea that it is not a precedent that is being set i feel like is 
kind of a shame. I guess they have to, right? Because like the whole Dr. Bashir storyline wouldn't work in DS9 if they didn't. I thought a lot about this, but I thought a lot about it in the context of like, if it were me. Yeah. And in that context, like freedom is the only thing that's important, really. Technicality or not, you need to get out and get your freedom in order to fight the injustice another day. And initially I was dissatisfied with La'an's idea of like, yeah, any little technicality would work here. And in the end, like that it is a technicality that ends up springing Una. I grappled a lot with like how satisfying of an ending that is, but I became more comfortable with it when it felt like, okay, well, as long as she's free, she can continue to work in ways to make things better. And isn't that fucked up that it's the, like, freedom is work? I think freedom is not having to work, man. Yeah, clearly. (laughs) (laughs) Fuck you. I've been toiling all day. The greatest trick is yet to come. La'an is really caught up in this, and for good reason. Like, La'an is the closest person to Una on the whole ship, probably. Maybe even closer than Pike. Maybe even closer than friends, closer than family. Hmm. We'll have to see. And she will give Una's chair to Nira. (laughs) (laughs) And you must do the same. So we have a big scene in the lunchroom that kind of goes through a bunch of different phases, right? It's a good thing we weren't here any longer than this because I could do an entire episode in the Enterprise lunchroom. I know. (laughs) It is astoundingly beautiful. So pretty. Yeah. Battelle is there to kick more shins. This is a great Battelle scene, isn't it? Yeah. Pike is so aware of his ability to convince, and there isn't a term for this for like hundreds of years from now, but like he kind of styles himself as a lawyer Pike. Right. And he has that kind of confidence to help. But what Battelle does to him is so shrewd. And the way she turns on a dime to like, Aikido, his confidence back into him yeah. is really great. Because she kind of goes from relationship Battelle to work Battelle before he realizes that the ground has shifted under him. Yeah. Really shows him like what a bad idea it would be to have to be under oath, kind of improvising all of the answers to these questions, you know? Question for you. Are they still together? Pancakes were good. Follow-up question. Does it matter? I feel like the sex after this is going to be really hot, but maybe during you just kind of want to hold off. Yeah. There's a hotness to this scene. It is very apparent. (laughs) He wants to hold off so that the pasta mama is that much more delicious later. Yeah. Yeah. And this scene is useful in another way in that it draws an underline under Pike's name because like the danger is present for him because he has known Una's secret earlier than it was disclosed. And if that ever got out, that would be very bad. I mean, he welcomes that conversation, but he also shouldn't welcome that conversation. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) The Doc and Ortegas are having a hang where they're watching Spock talk to this Vulcan admiral that's the judge advocate general. And Ortegas is doing that thing where she imagines what they're saying back and forth to each other and, and gives voice to it. That would be enjoyable. Is anyone more fun than Ortegas to hang out with on this bridge crew? No fucking way, man. great. She rules. She's definitely the life of the party. Seems like the show's gotten their arms around Mbenga's hairline at this point. (laughs) It's a little more consistent this time. It's all in one place, and that's good. The doc is noticing something that's happening below the surface which is tension between the two men that Ortega like, doesn't pick up on, apparently. They're all like buddy-buddy. I feel like this is a joke that is sort of borrowed from Wedge Dudge. She has lost all control. When Spock comes over and is like, I'm so sorry for that totally un- uncontrolled outburst. It does feel like a Lower Decks joke here. In a pretty fun way. He explains that he fucking hates that guy. Always has. That guy used to work with his dad. And what looked like a perfectly civil conversation between them was actually Spock feeling 
out of control with how much he was raging. I mean, this is a saying on Vulcan, Pasalk really brings out the flavor mm. of a person's hate. <laughs> it is rather piquant. Over on the bridge, where it is not currently break time, La'an asks Uhura for any and all Una communications ship-wide from the last six months. Seems like a pretty large net that gets Uhura's attention. Yeah. Including personal logs. That's not allowed. You can't just get somebody's personal logs unless you have express permission from command. Uhura pushes back, using both regulations, but also her friendship with La'an. She's like, look, not only is this sketchy as hell regulation-wise, but like, Una wouldn't want you to do this. Una want you, wouldn't want you to get in trouble in this way. You got to find another way to figure this out. You're an investigator? Investigate. Like, you talk about modeling good behavior. Two people in a workplace with a difference of opinion. Like, this was a great argument between two friends and coworkers. Because, I mean, Uhura's like, I'm going to get in trouble and you're going to get in trouble if we do this. And... I think that based on what is happening to our captain and commander, we have like an object lesson in why that might not be such a great idea. Yeah. Yeah. So La'an takes Uhura's, I guess it's a recommendation because, I mean, that's all she can do with her own rank. Yeah. She decides to go bark up another tree and uh, the trial begins. It's all over Federation Court TV and Captain Patel begins by using the eugenics wars and playing God in her opening arguments in favor of the illegality of genetically modified people being in Starfleet. And I love how snappy these courtroom scenes are because you don't see a lot of like the boring process parts. This seems to be really like cut into the soundbiteiest parts of things because we smash right into Nira's opposing argument and it being about fear and the fear that the Federation has against Illyrians, and the fear that Una had herself in admitting her true nature. I almost felt like this opening argument was written like a closing argument. It did feel that way, but aren't all great opening arguments like a restatement of the closing argument? I guess so, yeah. It's a, I'm going to tell you what I'm going to tell you. Yeah. I'm going to tell you, I'm going to tell you what I told you kind of thing. In sex court, especially. (laughs) Robert April, first person on the stand and, you know, answers a bunch of questions about what a great officer Una is. And then the, like, questions that Cthul starts asking get more and more intense. (laughs) This question made me laugh because it was, uh, what is general order number one? And Vitell is like, objection! (laughs) And then one of the admirals on the tribunal is like, no, I want to find out. What is it? (laughs) And I was like, I feel like the command staff of Starfleet do need to be reminded a little bit more often what the Prime Directive is. General Order 1 clearly states we cannot... Screw General Order 1. These people are going to have their minds blown out when they hear what General Order 14 is. They can't remember (laughs) what 1 is. (laughs) So what she's trying to establish is that Robert April breaks rules sometimes when his judgment is that it's necessary to be broken. And this is a scene that gets hotter and hotter as she cites more and more examples of times that he broke the prime directive when he was in command of a starship until the tribunal sort of like boils over and say like, you know, Admiral, you're dismissed. All of your testimony is stricken from the record. We're not going to be considering any of that stuff. And I was like, oh, man, is the strategy on the defense side to just get everybody's testimony stricken from the record so they can't even have a trial? I thought the same thing. I thought the strickenness was a little heavy handed, don't you think? It seemed heavy. You didn't have to strike all of it. Maybe just strike like the last third. Just strike the bad stuff. <laughs> We need to score a lot of black fast. I spent a lot of last week sick in bed. And one thing I was so happy I had when I needed something to eat but didn't really have the energy to cook myself something was Factor Meals. Got a couple of these in the fridge at all times and they are delicious, fresh, never frozen, chef-crafted meals and they're ready to go in just about two minutes. And this is convenience food that is actually tasty and full of real ingredients and not hyper-processed crap. 
and they got you covered all throughout the day. They got pancakes, smoothies, grab and go bites, and uh, you can get as much or as little as you need by choosing your meals every week. Plus, you can pause and reschedule deliveries at any time. So head to factormeals.com slash trek50 and use code trek50 to get 50% off. That's code trek50 at factormeals.com slash trek50 to get 50% off. What do you think of when you think of male grooming? Maybe it's a sharp haircut and a little bit of product or a bit of the old beard wax twisted into the ends of a mustache. Maybe it's a shower, a shave, a little spritz of fragrance. Me? I think of shaving my nuts. And not just my nuts, all around those nuts. I'm talking all around those nuts. And this form of male grooming is hard to do when your junk looks like a log of Play-Doh rolled through a dustpan in a barber shop. It's wrinkly, it's wriggly, nothing stays in place, and it's the one area where you don't want to have an accident. That's why I'm glad we're sponsored by the spring cleaning champions at Manscaped. They sent me their brand new Lawnmower 5.0 Ultra. It's their fifth generation trimmer, featuring two interchangeable next gen skin safe blade heads, a standard one for taking a little bit off the top, and a new foil blade to go smooth wherever your heart desires. They also sent me an extra large Manscaped t shirt, which I will never wear, but it was nice of them to do. Get 20% off and free shipping with the code TREK at manscaped.com. That's 20% off and free shipping with the code TREK at manscaped.com. Nothing like a little spring cleaning in your pants. Hi, Adam Pranica here for Podshop.biz, the easy way to dress, drink, and decorate virtually anything fast with embarrassment that lasts. Podshop.biz is not a cult, and it's not a multi-level marketing scheme. It's a supercharged carousel of crap spinning at a high rate of speed for all your dorky needs. Ordinary web stores are a mess, but with Podshop.biz, you'll find products from all of our shows referring to many of our most popular bits. Shirts, glasses, and bags from other websites can damage your mood, but not with Podshop.biz. Our nerdy, jokey bullshit will rebuild your damaged attitude and turn you into a person with riz. Turn your laptop from off the shelf to off the hook with a sticker. Make pool time cool time with our line of hilarious swimwear. And stop raw-dogging your smartphone. Strap it up with the choice of designs that'll have you go from saying hello to hello. But that's not all. At podshop.biz, you can choose from the Brenner Information Systems Collection, the Uxbridge Shimoda Corporate Collection, this old enterprise, logos for Greatest Generation and Greatest Trek, and more. Order now at podshop.biz. Back for another game. You know it. What's going on? Just one more week till Max Fun Drive. <laughs> Hard to believe. It's been a heck of a year since the last one. We're now a worker-owned co-op. We raised $50,000 for charity last year. And we've added a bunch of awesome new shows. But do you think we're ready to do it again? Absolutely. Lovely new gifts are lined up. The episodes will be amazing. And wait till everyone hears the bonus content. Yeah, plus they know to go to MaximumFun.org newsletter, so they're getting all the news. Oh, like that meetup day is on Thursday, March 21st. Then what's bothering you? Me? Oh, nothing. We're all set for Max Fun Drive to start on Monday, March 18th. I just didn't want you to see this coming. Check. What? Hang on! Most of the plants humans eat are technically grass. Most of the asphalt we drive on is almost a liquid. The formula of WD-40 is San Diego's greatest secret. Zippers were invented by a Swedish immigrant love story. On the podcast Secretly Incredibly Fascinating, we explore this type of amazing stuff. Stuff about ordinary topics like cabbage and batteries and socks. Topics you'd never expect to be the title of the podcast. Secretly Incredibly Fascinating. Find us by searching for the word secretly in your podcast app. And at MaximumFun.org. Nira is 
really good at riling everyone up. Yeah. When you first meet her, you get the sense that most people are on their back foot with her. But seeing her operate in court, she's impressive. I thought this actor was awesome. She was so fun to watch do this. Yeah. April shows up in Pike's quarters later, and Pike is like in the process of pouring drinks for them. <laughs> April is like, no, man. We are not on good terms right now. I'm not drinking with you. You ever have to do that thing where you pour two glasses of brown into one because your buddy's pissed at you and doesn't want that drink? Pretty much every time we hang out, Adam. <laughs> the lawyer was your idea. She was. This punctuation at the end of the scene was really well done. Yeah, I liked it. Yeah. Back in Una's cell, it's safe to say Una's not happy with the avenue Nira took yeah. in her defense. What the hell was that? You're supposed to defend me, not attack Admiral April, not indict the Federation. Why not? Safe to say that if Una had a bottle of brown liquor and two glasses in her cell, she too would not be sharing a beverage with her counselor, who is very open about being here to soapbox and advance her own agenda by using Una's case to make the Federation look bad. Nira stays on message basically the entire episode. Her position is like, why do you love this thing that hurts you and hurts people like you? Because part of Una's problem is like, you're going to destroy this thing that I love. You're not just going to destroy the status quo. You're going to destroy the institution itself. Right. And then there's also like the quality of this beef that they have personally that Nira doesn't want to talk about in this moment. It seemed more and more to me like the beef was just you went away and became part of yeah. an institution that I detest. And It was a nice bit of hiding the truth of that argument. Yeah. The next day we get all the character witnesses, and this is the Dr. Laan and Spock, who all look great in their dress uniforms. They really do. The blue especially. Yeah. They really nailed this blue. It's so good. She really... Seems incredible, according to this testimony. Like, this testimony is, like, best-case scenario for an accused that needs their character bona fides established. The trap is really apparent here, too, because we see the sequence of these three witnesses go around and around. And to a person, everyone's like, Una's the best, Una's my family, Una would never let you down. But at the end of all of these interactions, it's like, you had to have known, and you had to have been keeping the secret, right? Right. They did not, but uh, yeah, it's a treacherous question because it goes to potentially implicate them the same way that Pike is implicated. Right, and the way that Pike was demonstrated to be implicated in the lunchroom on the Enterprise. Like, that same sort of, like, buttering up into a feeling of comfort by a witness to just, like, drop the hammer on them at the end. Yeah. It doesn't work. Don't act like Morn. Stop dropping that hammer. Yeah. So back on the Enterprise, La'an brings Nira a paper volume of the Starfleet Uniform Code of Justice that exists in book form. I was shocked that this book didn't look like it was wearing a Starfleet uniform. That'd be fun, right? It really would. Yeah, like the Necronomicon is wrapped in human skin. <laughs> Wouldn't the uniform code be wrapped in a uniform? It should be, it should be wrapped in a uniform. Yeah, <laughs> I agree. She is worried that they found out about Una's true genetic background from her personal log, which is sort of a simplistic leap from the conversation she had with Uhura earlier. <laughs> Like, if you're not allowed to look at personal logs, then they shouldn't have looked at her personal log. It's just terrifying to think that there is any length of time where administrative sludge could actually be, like, wandered through in order to get to those logs. Yeah. Like, any amount of time is uncomfortable in my mind. There's a pretty intense conversation here about La'an having a lot of fear surrounding her own background as a descendant of Khan and being afraid of what she might become. And if this can happen to Una, can't it happen to me too? Kind of stuff. Yeah. There's a a learned self-hatred that Nira really wants her to dismantle in herself, which is 
like other people, people that fear what you could potentially be are the ones that are making you feel ashamed of what you actually are. Yeah. And that's fucking bullshit. There's nothing wrong with you, Lieutenant. It's the kindest that Nira has ever been depicted as in this episode. A surprising and good gear for this actor on display as well. And it's kind of the core of her raison d'etre. Like, it's kind of like what drives the thing she does. Like, she's a warrior for this perspective. It's like she she is as prickly and as intense as she is because she believes this so deeply. That's part of the tragedy of La'an, though, too, right? It's like her stoicism is so apparent. Even a kindness like this, you can't really read it on her. Yeah. It seems like Nira knows what the answer is going to be when she tells Lahan to investigate who leaked this information to Starfleet. Yeah, it seems that way. But in the conference room, we're back in trial. And this time Una's on stand. And this might be like this sort of transition might be giving that answer. Like if yeah. you end a scene with we got to figure out who the real guilty party is. And then the very next scene is the guilty party. Yeah. <laughs> this is what TV shows and movies do. Yeah. Come on, whoever did this, just confess. We promise we won't be mad. I missed when they decided that she was going to be a witness, but she is. And there's some sparring over whether her childhood is relevant testimony to the case. But this stuff does get entered into the record about how Illyrians on this planet were living these secretive lives where their culture and practices couldn't be revealed to the broader public. And we learn a little bit more about like her direct relationship with Nira because Nira's cousin, Ivan, was arrested with his entire family at the age of 10 when it was revealed that they were, in fact, genetically modified. Kind of makes you wonder how uh, Ivan revealed that to Una. Mm. Like a, I show you my genetic <laughs> modification if you show me your genetic modification kind of a moment. Exactly what I was getting at, yeah. Kids do th things like this, Adam. I know. That's what I'm saying. Okay, so you're just saying I'm bad for stating the premise of the joke again? <laughs> Jesus, man. Why do you make a comedy show with me? Because I find you very funny. <laughs> I guess I'm just reply guy today. Not at all, Ben. They describe the ghettoization of the Illyrians without using that term, but like eventually the tensions between the Illyrians and everybody else were bad enough that the local government decided to separate everybody. But because Una's family could pass, they snuck into the non-Illyrian side to try and live a, a freer and more unrestricted life and... That's when we like learn more about the broken leg story and how she was like intervening on behalf of when she broke her leg. We also learn in this testimony that it was she herself who submitted that she was an Illyrian to Starfleet. She turned herself in, man. And Laan didn't know it. Fuck. Laan's been doing all this work the whole time, like getting into arguments with Uhura yeah. and so forth. Come on, Una, just tell your girl, like, what's up, you know? Yeah. This is a scene where Una sort of defends why Starfleet. She feels like the people that she's encountered on the Enterprise made her feel safe enough that she wanted to reveal her true self to them. Yeah. And that maybe the sort of acceptance she experienced there is something that other Illyrians would receive everywhere. But what she failed to understand is that Starfleet is a big place and not everyone is like the crew of the Enterprise. And it's funny, like the idealism of her beliefs in Starfleet persuaded her to do it. I found this really powerful because I've definitely, especially in the last 10 or so years, felt less and less optimistic, less and less able to hold in my mind the idea that we are on a path of improving our society. This is fine. I'm okay with the events that are unfolding currently. You know, I think that they're like the classic political divide is like everything used to be better and we need to get back to that versus we are coming out of a history of darkness and the only way forward is to make everything better for everyone. Like 
those kind of describe two sides of the political spectrum imperfectly. And Una is very much on the, like, I like Starfleet because it is an organization that isn't perfect, but knows that and is trying to be better and isn't like self-deluded. And like, we've heard Starfleet's racial laws being described as draconian in this episode, but that didn't cause Una to have no faith at all in Starfleet. It, it was faith that Starfleet could be better about things like this that motivates her. I really like how the end of this moment isn't a swell of music and, you know, like the Notre Dame fight songification of <laughs> Una's persuasive argument. Mm-hmm. Instead... Admiral Pasak comes in and fucking shuts that shit down. Like, yeah. right there. Yeah. Because the only person this show cares about more than Una is Pike. And Pasak puts his life in great jeopardy by going at that angle, the conspiracy angle. I kind of feel like Pasak is a bit of a Patak. Yeah, I think so too. He's a facts don't care about your feelings guy. If there's a conspiracy on Enterprise, though, like the entire rotten ship goes down. It's not just Pike. Yeah. He wants to bring Pike in and put him on the grill as well, because if Pike knew several months ago, then this is all a conspiracy that goes right to the top of the ship. And if that's true, then Pike is just as guilty and culpable as as Una and and should suffer as well. And that's when Nirika Tool reveals the grand design of her legal strategy by pulling the rug out from under this admiral. She reveals that this was not a case about her client having lied on an application. It was, in fact, an asylum case the entire time. That's right, Ben, because when you ask for an asylum, you make an ass out of the Starfleet court system. <laughs> this is a great moment. This is courtroom prestige mm. done perfectly. Oh, so good. Yeah. And like during this closing argument by Nira, I love this moment of like the bad guys being impressed by the good guy's ability because Captain Battelle's justice dimple is just absolutely beaming throughout, <laughs> right? You can't cover that up. Yeah. I mean, the Admiral sitting next to her just like taking pencil after pencil out of a box and yeah. snapping them as as she does her speech. But yeah. uh, the tribunal is persuaded. We get a not guilty on all charges verdict. Asylum granted. Una can go back to work. And we get a little like after action with the lawyer, Nirika Tool, who, you know, like they're talking about, like this was a technicality that she got off on. Like we didn't set any precedent that makes life safe for people that are genetically modified in the Federation. Presumably a hundred years from now, some weird doctor could be drinking pee and plying his trade on a, on a deep space station and something similar could come out about him. Or like robots and whether or not you can take their arms off and and shut them off in a court setting like mm-hmm, mm-hmm. there are miriam possibilities here but it's a start it is a start and that's what makes the whole end of the trial portion of this feel weird what doesn't feel weird is the reunification of the enterprise crew when una transports back to the ship everyone's there to greet and I thought it was really interesting that among all of the assembled friends on the crew, Una goes straight for Nyira first to thank her for what she did. That's a classy move, right? Very classy. Seems like they're friends again. That's nice to see. I also like that uh, Una doesn't relax into her being back. She's like, she's still the commander. And she like, yeah. She's like, what are you guys doing around here? Like, who's running the ship? Yeah. When she dismisses the crew and it's just her and Pike, Pike goes in for a great big hug. And what a moment this is. This seems like on the surface, it would just be like, oh, that's nice. You know, friends and coworkers back together again. But in the greater scope of Star Trek, I can't remember another commanding officer showing this sort of emotional display for a subordinate and their safety ever. Yeah. What Pike does here, I think, really shatters a pretty cemented 
feeling about captains on Star Trek and how they treat the people they work with. It's not that they aren't valued, but like Pike fucking needs her. And that's what this hug is about. The button on the episode is just an absolutely off the fucking hook sex scene between Pike and Patel. Yeah, I mean, stick around for after the credits, guys. That's all I have to say. Because a nebular gets fucking blown out here. <laughs> fucking wild shit. Did you like this episode, Adam? I did because I know you and I tend to love lawyer captain episodes and trial episodes. And this feels to me like it's going to be a classic, but it's also so distinct from the other lawyer captain Star Trek courtroom episodes we've gotten before. And that's because it is separate from Pike. Once again, we've gotten two episodes that really de-emphasize Pike as the main character on this show. Like, he never gets to take the stand. He never gets his lawyer Pike moment. And I'm not saying that that's bad at all. I'm just calling attention to the idea that this is a very different sort of construction than we've gotten before. And it's a show that's interested in its non-main character because its non-main character group is very interesting. Yeah. One of the things we argued together at the top of the episode was like the quality of fighting against a system from within the system versus outside of it. And I've always been of the opinion that like you can only ever do the most good by getting inside the thing that you want to destroy. It is so hard to change things from the outside. And I think you see it a lot in a lot of our institutions. Like And I mean this in in both a good and a bad way, like operators get inside of things and they are able to change in a more effective way than from the outside. And that can really go a lot of different directions. And Una's argument with Nira about how best to do that, like they are on opposite sides of that. Una thought she'd be able to change it from the inside. Nira was never a part of that and was unable to change it from the outside. And you could argue like the technicality of the end of their court case makes it so unsatisfying as a win that maybe you don't know which one of them had the better strategy. And I think that is a satisfying ending to an episode, even though you don't get a definitive answer to which one's strategy was superior. Yeah, It gave me a lot to think about. And like, I'm going to be thinking about it for a while, not just in terms of like where these arguments fit inside a Star Trek universe, but where they fit inside our present universe. Yeah, I would keep thinking about it too if I wasn't so tired that I <laughs> forgot most of it. Come on. No, I I agree. And I think that like, you know, you think about like measure of a man, it sort of feels like that episode is like, ah, shit, we don't really have enough money to like hire a bunch of other actors to play the lawyers in Starfleet. So we'll just have the captain and the first officer play that and we'll play that for tension. Like, oh man, they're like usually working together and now they're working against each other. Right. And I thought that it was so strong to bring in a guest player to create this lawyer character. And I think she's an absolutely fascinating character and I hope we run into her again. And I really liked that this wasn't Pike's job, you know? I really liked how the tension between Yira and Una, you could make the case for either. That Una's family saw fit to fight this from the inside of the system was apparent when they went to the other side of the city. Right. They could be safer there to fight than on their own side. And you could totally get on Yira's level in resenting the hell out of that. How could you turn your back on your own people in order to go live over there? No good choices in a situation like that. Yeah. So, yeah, great episode. Really, really enjoyed. I also always enjoy checking out the Priority One inbox. Want to head over there with me, Adam? Well, commercial messages live here, and personal messages live on the other side of the Priority One messages. Yeah, well, we've got personal messages only today, so. (laughs) Oh, that's good. Those are my messages. Priority one message from Starfleet coming in on secured channel. Adam, our first message is from 
Vichy French guy, and it is too big rod. And it goes like this. Having a gap in your Star Trek programming is a war crime. Yes, but wasn't spring break fun? (laughs) I almost can't wait for the next spring break. Yeah, we had a lot of fun on spring break. I'm already thinking of new weird episodes to do for the next time. (laughs) Yeah, we got a lot of good suggestions from the FODs as well. If this strike continues, you could see an end to the pipeline. We may be on spring break for a long time if the yeah. producers don't get their fucking shit together and start paying people a living wage for their work. Exactly. Yeah. Ben, our second priority one message is from Julia. It is to Ben and Adam. That message goes like this. While binging Bar Rescue, I discovered that Alexander Siddig is a guest spy on season four, episode 24. I thought, who else would appreciate this more than Ben and Adam? And went to email you about it. But then I couldn't find your goddamn email address. So here is $100, I guess. You're welcome. And then there's a taffer drop here. Shut it down! Clean this place or I'm gone! Thanks for the many years of laughs. Julia, I can only assume that this priority one message was sent before spring break. (laughs) <laughs> which I think demonstrates the backlog of priority ones that we're we're currently in, a useful backlog. Yeah. Sorry. I feel like we should send Julia her money back, honestly. Yeah, we should <laughs> we should refund Julia. Julia's got ideas. Julia's on our wavelength. Unless Julia's doing a bit, in which case there's a funny bit. Yeah, that's a good bit. It's a good bit. Hey Julia, email Danny at the network and let him know if it's a bit or not. And if it's not, we'll figure something out. Yeah, and because you're asking about our goddamn email address, we don't really give that out anymore. <laughs> yeah. That was a power that was too awesome for some people. Yeah. Knowing how to get in touch with us directly. Julia, if you like reading manifestos, <laughs> you can be our email reader. How about mm-hmm. that? Yeah. Some inbound, some outbound. Sure. (laughs) Anyways, if you'd like to send us a Priority One message, manifesto or otherwise, it's uh, 100 bucks for a personal message and 200 for a commercial message, and you go to MaximumFun.org slash Jumbotron to do that. Hey, Ben. What's that, Adam? Did you discover yourself an Edward Larkin? Give it to uh, Una's parents. This is a genetic specimen. This kid is improved in ways we know and in ways we don't even know. And you're trying to have a conversation just out of earshot? No fucking way. She's going to hear the whole thing. Yeah. You idiots. This is your culture. You should know this. Not a great episode for Una's parents. (laughs) They look like fools. Yeah. I'm going to go with Captain Patel, who just like white knuckles the entire trial experience while still managing to hold on to Captain Pike as whatever he is to their relationship. Yeah. Like, yeah. Wow. What a personal, professional, and emotional minefield it is. And for her to navigate that and also communicate to us what side she's really on, how she is not by the end of this, a person that we hate, I think is a real miracle. And I think it's because that dimple carries the work of that. (laughs) Is the Larkin her dimple? Because it's an important dimple. When it's all said and done, as things are tying up and you see that thing, you're like, oh yeah, that's what side she was on the whole time. That's really well said, Adam. Yeah, she definitely is... A character that could have gone into the unredeemability bucket yeah. over the course of this episode. And I think we're going to be happy to see her next time we see her. Oh, yeah. I would save the pasta mama for after the lovemaking and not before. Mm, yeah. For sure. Yeah. Do what Dan Savage says. Fuck first. Mm-hmm. Well, Adam, we always like to end an episode of our show with a warning why. It's a way to... Warn people that are maybe not into our kind of brand of Star Trek slash comedy away from the show, but also welcome in the kind of folks that would be into this. Prepare a buoy and launch it when ready. Warning buoys. An emergency buoy. A warning buoy. We have a warning buoy here. This looks like it's from Facebook, if I'm reading my 
screenshot of an interface correctly. Mm-hmm. It goes like this. So here's a, bo- a warning buoy for anyone listening to the latest Greatest Trek bonus episode in their car on a nice day with the windows rolled down. So here I am at the stoplight listening to the live show, and the first Adam slash fiction bit is in full swing. Oh, this is the Double Dumbass Tour live show. Yeah. Adam wrote some really delightful erotic fiction based on Star Trek IV, colon, the one with the whales, and uh, we play it in that live show. This goes on to say, I turn to my right and... There in a convertible next to me is a guy who, despite his aviator glasses, is looking in my direction with a look of utter confusion and horror. Knowing that trying to explain things would only make matters worse, I rolled up my windows, returned my gaze back to the stoplight, and waited for the longest light sequence in recorded history to change from red to green, taking what little solace I could in the fact that I am turning left and he is not. So, yeah, keep those windows up, my FODs. You'll thank me. That's from Ramon Medina. (laughs) Oh, man. Ramon, you got to treat your podcasts the way I treat podcasts or rap music Mm. or any music. Actually, anything you can play on a car stereo. Uh I I turn that shit way down in mixed company. (laughs) And that includes traffic. And this is why. I wonder if that person in the in the car next to Ramon was you, because you never turn left. <laughs> Adam will turn right three times to avoid turning left. This is something yeah. I think not a lot of people know about Adam, but he's one of the world's greatest detesters of the left turn. Unless there's a left turn arrow I could avail myself of. But yeah, mm. for the most part... I'm not cutting across traffic. Fuck that. (laughs) I'm not going to fucking wait. You're saying I should wait instead of not wait and turn right a couple times? I like to keep it moving. You should move to Pittsburgh. I think you'd really like Pittsburgh. I've heard. (laughs) With that said, uh, we're going to end the episode here. Make sure you stick through the credits because Wendy will tell you a little bit about next week's episode. Thanks, Wendy. Bye-bye. Greatest Trek is an Uxbridge Shimoda podcast on the Maximum Fun Network. It's hosted by Ben Harrison and Adam Pranica, and it's produced and edited by Wendy Pretty. Next week is Season 2, Episode 3 of Strange New Worlds. It's called Tomorrow and Tomorrow and Tomorrow. We'll have the network's logline for that at the end of Monday's Greatest Generation. And of course, Ben and Adam will be back in this feed with review next Friday. All of the original music for this show was composed by Adam Ragusea. He has a podcast and a YouTube cooking channel that you might really enjoy. You can find that by searching for Adam Ragusea. Thanks to Nick Ditmore for creating the show art and Bill Tilly for managing the Ad Greatest Trek social media pages on Instagram, Twitter, and Mastodon. Follow those accounts and use the hashtag Greatest Trek when you talk about the show online. Thank you to the members who are helping keep the show going at MaximumFun.org slash join. If you'd like to support for free, you can leave a five-star review on Apple Podcasts or tell someone you know about us. Thanks for listening. We'll see you next week on Greatest Trek. MaximumFun.org Comedy and culture. Artist owned. Audience supported.